Um, I want to turn this now. I'm not sure uh, the best way to switch to transition this. We're talking about evil today and suffering, and I don't want to make it. I don't want finances to be connected to that. Although they kind of are sometimes. Um, so I'm just gonna do. It. I'm just gonna jump in. Jump in with me. Um, we have been in a series in Job, and these last few weeks of our Job series, we're just taking some topics that have come up, questions that have been asked uh, by you, and um, we're going to dive a little deeper into how do, how can we think about these things. So last week, we were able to look uh, at uh, Satan, the devil, God's adversary, look a little bit at his history and how we could think about him, and ultimately how Jesus is greater uh, than him, and uh uh, this week we're going to look at kind of a continuation, in a similar vein, but the question of can there can God be good, and there can there be evil, and if there's these terrible things, how can God um, exist or even still be good? So that's your plan now. Is we're going to jump into it. So things kind of seem impossible and hard, um, you know that that question comes alive. We see this actually historically in the church and even right now as. The world's experienced this pandemic in a time where we haven't experienced something like this. We're seeing growth in churches and ministries, people eager as they suffer and we're experiencing evil suffering around us. We're seeing growth in churches historically throughout um, um, time. We've seen often when things get hard and dark, it seems that the light of Jesus seems even sweeter uh, and brighter. And so we look back at horrible moments in time, like uh, often would be brought up the Holocaust, right? Genocide. Racism that we've seen terrible acts of human that humans have done to one another, and we ask these questions: Is God good? How can He let this happen? If He's good, why is there suffering? And, and, and if evil is here, it, can there even be a God? So that's my hope today: is just to look uh, into that. Um, I, I start with just sharing a moment I had in college. So I had the opportunity to study uh, comparative study of religion. Um, in, in college. And so I had the opportunity to actually be around a lot of people who, who weren't uh, Christians, who actually were uh, not fans of Christians um, or Jesus or the Bible. And so I had a class, we um, had a class, it was just a survey. It was like introduction to world religion. So every week we had the opportunity to meet different people from different backgrounds. Um, and we had a great teacher who was actually gave us, met people who had come from different uh, circumstances and one of the people that we had met with was a couple who were Holocaust survivors. Um, he wanted us to meet people who were still faithful, faithful to their religion. Uh, they were still faithful Jewish people uh, and had been through really hard things because he wanted us to have that discussion with them, which I, which is really valuable. I still remember it today. I still think back to that moment. They shared us with the tattoos they had on their arms of the numbers they were given. Um, it was a, it was a husband and wife who had actually been uh, they were, I think at the time, were just dating. Uh, they were very young, and they were separated and actually both survived and found each other. Um, and they came into our class and shared. It was really powerful. At the end of class, so this is one of the things I remember, is I was sitting with uh, a group of friends from class, and uh, it was pretty heavy stuff, and we were shit talking about this topic. And someone said, I can't believe they would still follow God. I can't believe they believe God exists. There kind of was three... Uh, camps that people thought in that and, and friend one would said and we this is terrible that we suffer but it's uh, part of part of how the world works and in their worldview they said 
there's suffering and evil because there has to be a balance. So as more good, as more good comes in the world, there has to be some bad because we have to keep this balance, right? This like good and evil. So they're, they're, uh, they believe suffering was the core of kind of how things worked and we have to keep it uh, good things and bad things to make it even the other the other friend uh, said, well, I, I think suffering is the problem. I think, again, uh, what's the problem with the world? It's su- it's suffering that we hurt, that there's pain. And they said the, the reason we suffer is because we want stuff. And so if we stop wanting uh, feelings, if we stop wanting uh, s- literally stuff, treasure, if we stop wanting people, if we stop even wanting to think about things, if we could eliminate any desires, we would eliminate suffering. And that is when we would reach like perfection. That's when all things would be right. And so they believed there was suffering, but it wasn't a balanced thing. It was a just eliminate suffering. How could we stop wanting to eliminate suffering? And the, the third friend said, I think suffering is the, the reason things aren't right. I think if we could solve the problem of suffering, then everything would be right. Heaven is us solving suffering. And they said the reason, the way we solve suffering is that we love each other. So they said, we got to love each other more. If everyone just loved each other, there'd be no suffering and then everything would be good. We'd be good. So their, their, their mission and goal in life was to find ways to love each other, whatever that definition was. We got into that and, and all of these, right. Um, start kind of creating, uh, new conversations. Um, but those are kind of the three places, at least those friends as we sat around um, and they ask me and I say, I, I don't know, I guess I think suffering is a symptom of something. And, um, Oh, you know, uh, we get down that. We, I try to share the gospel. They're not really thrilled about that. Um, and so we continue this conversation, but I think this brings up a really important point as we look into this. I think we feel suffering around us, right? Things are messed up. Things are broken. People do terrible things to each other. Historically, we hear about terrible things, right? And so we can start believing that the goal, the reason we are created, the reason things work, the reason that God exists is just to not have suffering. We start believing that the great problem was suffering and the solutions are endless. And if we can just figure out this suffering problem. If the answer to evil and suffering wasn't about finding ways <laughs> to ignore, resist, or even fight suffering, then what is what is the answer to all this? So I want us to look today, uh, not necessarily through apologetics uh, of uh, does God exist? Um, and does evil exist? But I want to look at, well, how does God respond to this question? Of if you're good, how can there be bad? Um, and what does God do with that? And so I want to do that through a story, one of my all-time favorite stories in Scripture, which comes from the book of John and John 11. It's a story about a man named Lazarus. So in John 11, we start the story um, with this man, Lazarus. We find out that he's sick. This is in John 11. We're still right in the first verse and, and uh, walk through this story together and see what, how does God respond to um, his goodness and evil. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and uh, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Uh, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters went to Jesus, Lord, the one you love, 
is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Remember this, it won't end in death. Notice, for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he rushed to him, right? He had to, I have to go save my friend who I love. He says he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to the disciples, let's go back to Judea. This is the beginning of the story. There's a man named Lazarus and his sisters. They're very close to Jesus. Jesus has these close, (laughs) dear friends. In fact, it mentions a few times in that passage how much he loves his friends. And then he hears, your friend who you love dearly is sick. And he says, we're not going to let Jesus, we're not going to let Lazarus die. And so you assume his first response is, I need to go stop suffering. I need to stop death. Instead, Jesus stays for two more days. He doesn't run to Lazarus. He stays for two more days. This is the moment where I think uh, I could feel or I could see someone feeling like, yeah, that's how God works. Uh, He sets us up and we suffer and we die. And he stands back and goes, oh, I'm sorry. That, That stinks. That's so bad. I'm gonna stay over here. I'm gonna, you deal with that. Um, if we don't read the whole story here, which we're gonna get to, we might feel like, what? Why did you stay? I wanna stop and see, well, how do we get to this point? How do we get to a point where Jesus is friends with people on earth, God himself has come to earth, and he's friends with, with people, and those people are dying and suffering? How do we get to this point? So let's quick take a little journey all the way back. Last week we were back in this part of scripture as well um, into Genesis 1 in the beginning. Let's see how stuff starts and and how we get to a point of seeing um, Jesus' friend die. So this is Genesis 1. This is the beginning of scripture. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over water. So in the beginning there was God and there was formlessness and it was empty. And there was nothingness and there was darkness. It was over the surface of the deep. Can you picture these, these waves of oceans and chaos and darkness and nothingness? And so what does God do in that? He said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light and there was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. And he called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning on the first day. And he continues to create. He creates light. He creates land. He forms animals and he forms the birds and the insects and the flowers and the fruits and the vegetables. And he forms people in his image and he loves them. And at the end of this passage, we see in verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. It was very good. There was a time when things were very good. When God created everything and it was good. He took nothingness. He took darkness. He took chaos. He made order out of it. He made light. He made something and it was good. He made good because he is good. All good. This question wasn't being asked. People weren't saying, is God good? 
people were with God and things were right. Things were good. Then we hear for the first time something goes wrong. Last week we had the opportunity, if you haven't heard that, listen to that um, uh, message from last week, but we had the opportunity to see God's adversary come in and the question gets asked for the first time. The same question we're asking today as we see suffering. The serpent comes and talks to, to Adam and Eve and he asks them, are you sure you can't eat from this tree in the garden? And and uh, and Eve says, no, I think we can eat from all the trees, just not this one. And um, I think we'll die if we do. God says we'll die. And the serpent says this, you will will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God and you will know good and evil. As, as, if, we, as if we want to know. You'll be like God. You can be a God and you can know good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewn fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now God finds them um, and explains, you now have been disobedient. You've turned from me. You're actually turning to yourselves because you want to know good and, and evil. And so now they've been cursed. He curses the serpent, which we looked at last week. And now he explains to the woman what life is going to look like now that you understand good and evil. Um, so he says to the woman, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. He causes disunity in marriages. He causes pain in childbirth. He says to Adam, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree, about which I commanded you, you must not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. Now there's going to be disunity. There's going to be uh, relationship problems between the earth and people. Just even in producing food, it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, you're for dust you are, to dust you will return. That sounds a lot like suffering. It sounds terrible. And that's what we experience. Right? Pain, physical pain, relational pain, work uh, that's, that's hard and painful and, and doesn't always produce anything. Um, it's hard, suffering. And so from that day on, we saw good and evil, right? We experienced that. We were, uh, people were taken out of the garden and now experienced God's goodness, but also the brokenness of being disobedient. They saw the light and the dark, the order and the chaos, the love and hate, the true worship and the idol worship, life and death and peace and suffering. Those, those were experienced. We become want to become gods, right? We want to, we want to take care of everything. God, little G gods. We want to live maybe without God, right? We, and what that does is it brings suffering. It brings, it brings hard things. It sounds like a lot of suffering 
And it does make us ask the question, where is God in all of this? We tend to not ask the question, where are we in all of this? We ask the question, does God care about our suffering, about evil? Does God even love us? I love what um, C.S. Lewis says about this in The Problem with Pain. He says, the problem of reconciling human suffering with the existence of God who loves. So he's actually in there talking about this question. People asking this question, does God even exist if there's all this suffering? He says, the problem with reconciling human suffering with the existence of God who loves is only insoluble so long as we attach a trivial meaning to the word love and look on things as if man were the center of them. Man is not the center. God does not exist for the sake of man. Man does not exist for his own sake. Thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. They were made not primarily that we may love God, though we were made to do that, but that God may love us and that we may become objects in which the divine love may rest well pleased. He's saying here that maybe our view of God's love is too small and our view of ourselves is way too big. And so what happens is we dwell on ourselves, the suffering on us, and we start saying, what's God doing? And we um, forget maybe how things actually are. And we're going to continue the story. Let's look back at Lazarus. Let's see what happens in this story of Lazarus. Does Jesus just stay and hang out and hear from afar that his friend Lazarus is dead and say, that stinks? Um, Or is he really this God of this great love? Does he give us a picture of what this enormous love is? And does he actually answer the question, what do we do with suffering? I think he does. So let's look, uh, continue in chapter uh, 11 of John. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed, uh, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. We read that before. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. Uh, and yet you're going? Well, he answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daylight will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. Because when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So I love this. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. Let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Lots going on here. Jesus saying, let's go to this place where he is. His disciples say, hold on. If, if we go here, though, people last time you were here tried to kill you. You're going to suffer. You could die. That's not, that's not all on his radar. Jesus isn't thinking, oh, I don't want to go there because I'm going to suffer. I love this is even in the passage. It reminds us that Jesus' reason for letting Lazarus die isn't because he was worried about the people in Judea. He actually then says this kind of weird thing about people, about 12 hours in the night and days. 
saying here that there are people who walk in the light and people who walk in the darkness. There's people who walk uh, and can see where they're going and they do not stumble. And there's people who walk in darkness, right? Remember this light and darkness thing? They walk in darkness, which is not of God, and they do stumble. They do fall. And those people need a light to know where to go. So they say, you shouldn't go to Judea. You're going to get hurt. And he says, there's people, though, who don't know how to walk because they're in darkness. They're going to stumble. They're going to suffer. I need to go to them and let them know. And there's a reason why I didn't go. I needed Lazarus to die so that you would believe. What what does that mean? We're going to find out what that means. And so they begin to go. It's, it's, Jesus is sharing here that suffering is going to be used to actually show and teach. Death is actually going to be used to show and teach that God takes sorrow and chaos and darkness, the things that we stumble and fall uh, over, and he's going to bring glory to God through this. This real suffering is really a real felt thing. I love at the end of this passage, we hear how sad these disciples are. He finally explains to them, he actually is dead. And they say, let us go die with him. Their hearts break. They feel the pain of death, of evil, of suffering. And so they go together as a group suffering, mourning the loss of their dear friend. Um, and they meet his sister on the road. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. So Martha comes out to meet Jesus. Like her brother has just died. She had called and said, Jesus, come help us. And uh, uh, and she, he finally comes. So she rushes out to him. What is she going to say to him? She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise. And she says, I, I know he'll rise again in the re- resurrection in the last day. He says to her, I am the resurrection. I am the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. Jesus moves into the suffering, moves towards Martha. He's not on his throne saying, hey, you deal with this. You got yourselves into this. Remember the tree thing? Remember the suffering you bring upon it? It's your, like, the, the, the issue with evil is people. You're terrible. Deal with yourselves. He moves in to life with them because he wants to explain to them something very, very important. Lazarus has been dead for four days. He's very dead. It makes it clear. This isn't like he just maybe died, so we're not actually sure in the story if he actually, he's dead, which will make later even more impressive. Many have come to mourn. Many are sad. They're heavy-hearted. They're gathered. There's a gathering of mourners sitting together, remembering Lazarus, asking why. Why would this happen? Does God care? God's friend, not just 
friend, like Jesus is a friend of mine, like friend, like Jesus loved this family. How could this happen? Does God even care? Is God even good? Martha runs to see Jesus and she says, why weren't you here? We told you days ago that this was happening. Why weren't you here? Where were you when my brother was dying? Where was God? Well, you're here now. I know you can do miracles. I know you can ask God anything you want. So raise him up. Um, make this right. And he tells her, yeah, your brother will rise. And she's thinking, oh, you mean someday? Yeah, yeah, Jesus, thanks. I don't, I don't need that advice. Hey, but remember, one day he'll be in heaven. You guys will be hanging out in heaven together. I don't need that. I get one day he'll rise. And Jesus says, no, 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 let me make myself clear. You will look for ways to solve this suffering problem, to end it, to ignore it, to maybe prolong death, to just end pain and this feeling you have. Let me be clear. The solution to suffering isn't to find ways around it, to you yourself find a way to deal with evil and suffering. The solution to your problem is right here, right in front of you. I am the resurrection. And I am the life. I'm the solution. Right now, right here, not long into the future, not someday you'll be in heaven, but right now cling to me and you will have life. Right now is, is the answer to this. The answer is Jesus, clinging to Jesus, not that suffering wouldn't happen. Our hope isn't in, I hope I don't suffer someday. If we could just eliminate suffering, everything would be good. No, everything is good because Jesus right now is the resurrection of the life. Not feeling bad isn't the mission. Not feeling bad isn't life. Not being happy isn't life. I am the life. I'm right here. I'm right with you. I am the resurrection. Let's go all the way back to the garden, right? I'm good, I'm right, I'm just, and I love you. Turn to me. I'm not just taking away suffering. Don't follow me and cling to me because suffering be like, cling to me because I am Christ and I bring you life. The answer is not to alleviate, alleviate suffering, but to turn to Jesus while we suffer. Because I am the resurrection and the life. Um, I've, I've looked um, to Martin Luther King Jr. and, and uh, the people who uh, fought for civil rights and, and read a lot and been so encouraged by them. And Martin Luther King Jr. was asked, how do you deal with this great suffering? You seem to suffer and almost be okay with it. Um, how, do you, how do you sit in that suffering? And specifically, he was asked, how do you deal with suffering as you do nonviolent protests? As you march with people, you don't cause others to suffer back, to fight suffering and oppression. In fact, you seem to almost sit in that suffering. How do you manage to do that? And this is what he said. Here's how he manages to suffer in the moment. It's as if he's not clinging to alleviating suffering, but to something else. He says, this belief that God is on the side of truth and justice comes down to us from the long tradition of our Christian faith. There is something at the very center of our faith which, which reminds us that Good Friday may reign for a day, but ultimately it must give way to the triumphant beat of the Easter drums. Good Friday may reign for a day, but ultimately it must give way to the triumphant beat of the Easter 
drums. There's something at the very center of their faith, and that very center is Jesus, the life and the resurrection. Let's continue our story. After she had said this, she went back. She just said, yes, I believe. To call her sister Mary aside, the teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and quickly went to him. Now, Jesus had not entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met. He's still outside the village. Uh, I don't remember him actually asking for uh, you know, Mary necessarily, but Martha says, you got to go talk to Jesus. When the Jews had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her. Supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, Mary now is out there, right? Summoned by her sister, go see Jesus. She fell at his feet. Lord, and she asked the same question. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Why do you not care about this suffering and death? Jesus sees her weeping. And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. And he was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. Where have you laid him? He said, come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. The Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind man? Uh, eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying. He, we see what happens here. Mary runs to him, is weeping. Everyone's with her, weeping. Jesus weeps. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. It's always the Bible quiz question. What's the shortest verse about? Jesus weeps. I, I knew that verse for a long time. I had no clue what it was. I was like, that's weird that Jesus cried. Jesus wept. He suffered with them. He felt the pain. Our God feels the pain of evil and suffering and has moved towards us to give us the good news that there is life in him. It's interesting, though, as he weeps with them, is troubled in his spirit. It makes me think, why didn't he just heal him? Why didn't he hear from afar, Lazarus is sick, and he says, no, he's not. And we hear stories of that. Jesus, uh, someone comes to him, this soldier comes to him and says, hey, my daughter is sick, and he says, she's healed. Doesn't even have to go see her. He's healed. Why not a close, dear friend who he loves, loves so much that he ends up weeping with people over his death. He's healed. Right? He, he could have done that. There's something really important here he wanted to teach us. Really important. That the goal isn't to alleviate suffering. The goal is to cling to the one who is life. I think Satan wants us distracted by these things. I think he would love it if we spent our days finding ways to alleviate suffering, to find more comfort, to live longer, to live happier, to feel like we have joy and completely miss the one who actually brings it. Our God is good and he cares deeply about this enough that he sits with his people and he weeps over death of his friend. We have to be careful that we not become worshipers of comfort, of good, of justice, of what's right, instead of the one who brings comfort and good and justice and what's right. Now, now here's, here's the part of the story that gets really exciting. He could just weep with them and say, I'm the resurrection. Hey, everyone, cling to me and you will not die. 
But as often he does and as God does, he gives us a very physical and real reality that's going to illustrate a very real and important spiritual reality. And sometimes we see it in, in order where we see a, a physical thing and then we kind of get later the spiritual connection. And here almost is flipped. He says, life and resurrection is in me. Let me show you what that looks like, though. He gives us a little uh, visual aid. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. He's in the front of the tomb that his friend Lazarus has died, has been in there for four days, dead. People are weeping. Jesus is weeping. He stands in front of this tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. He says, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been there for days. She maybe assumes he's just going to go in and weep next to the body. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? He's saying, now watch this. I'm going to show you. I'm going to give you a little illustration here. We don't have a flannel graph to show the pictures, right? I'm going to literally right now show you what I mean by this. So they took away the stone and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me because I said this for the benefit of the people standing there that they may believe that you sent me. Remember, he, he cried out to the Father to save his friend Lazarus. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus says to him, he sees his friend Lazarus wrapped in dead man's clothes. And he says, take off the grave clothes. Let him go. You see this moment? This story could have been four verses. Lazarus was sick. Jesus healed him. They went and hung out, had a good time, right? That could have been the whole thing. But instead, Lazarus was sick. Jesus says, I'm going to show you how we have to think about this suffering and this evil. Because I'm worried that you're going to be worshiping non-suffering rather than me. And he goes and he teaches and he turns people to him and he says, I'm the one. And Lazarus is alive. He is risen. And glory goes to Jesus. People turn to Jesus, not just to, oh, I'm glad Lazarus isn't dead. Jesus has the power over death. Mary and Martha now know that it isn't in avoiding sin but running to a loving God who cares deeply. He's wept with people. He's been with people. He is still good. He still brings light to darkness and order to chaos and life to death. He's the same God we see in Genesis 1, continuing to reconcile and make right the things that we continue to break. He has enough power to move people towards himself. He, he, he weeps over Jerusalem. Do we, see, we see Jesus now act this out in the same way. We see Jesus now move to Jerusalem, move to us. Jesus actually comes down from his throne to earth to say, you know what, I'm going to put an end to this suffering and this evil. But you have to cling to me, not to just the bad, the, to the not bad, right? Cling to, I hope things are good and happy. Cling to me, right? So he comes down from heaven. He moves towards Jerusalem. He actually weeps over Jerusalem as he moves in, as we see in the the story of Good Friday and Easter. He weeps over the suffering and sin that's happening in Jerusalem. He loves us enough to suffer on a cross in our place. He loves us enough to defeat death, not just Lazarus' death, but his death. He walks out of a tomb. He throws off his grave clothes. And today he's alive and well on his throne. And he's still good. 
can God be good with all this evil? No, he's not good with it. In fact, he's willing to take the action to move towards us and to save us from it. God came to take care of evil and suffering and bring, uh, and bring himself into the world to do it, to remind us each day to turn to him who's taking care of evil, to cling to Jesus, the source of life. Then, then we get to move as blessed people to bless others. Then we can start taking care of suffering around us. Then we can weep with people and bring life and suffering, and we can help push back darkness. But first we have to be clinging to the one who gives us life. We can't push back death as dead people, but we can push back life as life, alive people. And one day as we end our time uh, here, I, I just want to remind us, one day this won't be a question as it was not a question in the beginning. One day this will not even be a question on our hearts. In Revelation 21, it says, when, when I saw a new heaven and new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, there was no longer any sea. Remember that sea in the beginning of the garden? It's chaotic. A symbol of, of darkness and nothingness. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. God will bring a day when we won't even ask or consider the question, is God good? Goodness will reign and goodness wins. Even though today, it may feel like it's Good Friday, we know that the triumphant beat of the Easter drum is coming. And so is God good? Yes. And what does he think about evil? Well, he thinks... He loves us enough to move towards us and deliver us from that and calls us to cling to him for life. We get to cling to him as the resurrection and the life right now. Not, not far off. Right now, we get to cling to him 